Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin' Podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 155. That's a lot of episodes. This uh, episode is titled Ancient, Ancient Computer. Um, and before we get into the ancient computer, I will do a recommendation segment here where I recommend you check something out that I've either personally done or I'm interested in and think you might enjoy it too. Sometimes it's related to the main topic of the episode, sometimes not. This week, no, not really at all. This week, I recommend you uh, have your make your own garden. I recommend having your own garden. If you have land of your own or land that you're able to plant on, like a community garden or something like that, great. Get at it. Make your own garden. But even if you live in an apartment, you can still grow a little herb garden on your windowsill or something like that. Or maybe talk to your neighbors, maybe, you know, or your landlord and say, hey, can I just plant some stuff here? It benefits everyone. It benefits the the local uh, environment. It benefits your neighbors. It's great. Shannon and I now have lived in our house for a little over a year. Last year's garden was was a success, but we now have a better understanding of what plants flourish and which ones don't grow very well in our on our property. And that's how it goes. Maybe this year your garden or your apartment windowsill garden might suck a little bit, but you'll get better at it. And it's awesome. If it were up to me, we would just grow arugula, green onions, and tomatoes. That's pretty much all I would need. I can't express how satisfying it is to be doing yard work or something outside. All of a sudden, just pluck a fresh arugula leaf right from your own garden and enjoy that peppery goodness. It's so much fun. So plant your own garden. It benefits everyone. um, And it's really fun. It's a learning experience. Now for the main event, the ancient computer. First, before we get into the ancient computer, let's talk what is a computer. The definition, a computer is a machine that can be programmed to carry out sequences sequences of arithmetic or logical operations automatically. Modern digital electro- electronic computers can perform generic sets of operations known as programs. These programs enable computers to perform a wide range of tasks. We all use computers these days. Even your grandmothers, grandfathers, they use them too. A computer is a machine that that uh, deals in ones and zeros a few million time, millions at a time. So one zero binary, but it does it in super complex ways. What's an analog computer though? You may not know off the top of your head, but I'm going to show you what an analog is. I'll explain. An analog computer um, also can be, sp- it's A-N-A, L-O-G or A-N-A-L-O-G-U-E, a different spelling, I think like Old English, not Old English, but England spells it with extra letters on there, O-G-U-E. It, it, but it's a type of computer that uses the continuous variation aspect of physical phenomena, such as electrical, mechanical, or hydraulic quality quantities to model the problem being solved. It is a computational device that uses mechanical principles instead of digital math to make calculations. A good example of what this is is like a wind-up clock, like you're an old-style alarm clock or even like a wind-up kitchen timer. That's an analog thing. It takes, it calculates the amount of time needed, and it doesn't really, it just requires you to wind it up. Um, It doesn't have batteries or anything. When did analog computers first appear? There's some debate on that. Most think it was the astronomical clocks that were invented and used during the 14th century, or at least that was thought to be the beginning of analog computers until 1901. In 1901, near uh, Antikythera, Greece, a discovery was made. Captain Dimitrios Kontos took a crew of sponge divers from the island of Siamese out to sea in the year 1900. As they were checking out the depths off the island of Antikythera, looking for sponges, 
they came across some stuff and I thought it was funny. I had no idea a sponge diver was an occupation, but okay. <laughs> anyway, he took out his crew of sponge divers. One of the crew surfaced in a panic. He was freaking out. <laughs> he was speaking in Greek. He was going like, hey, what's going on here? He's speaking frantically about a bunch of underwater mummy ghost ladies and freaking everyone out. They're like, what are you talking about? Captain Kantos, even though it's, it's kind of a, a weird claim, there's no ghost ladies at the bottom of the ocean. Get back down there and do more your sponge diving. Uh, but anyway, he did file the report and sent it off to the Greek Navy, not thinking much of it. He's like, I don't know. One of my crews went nuts, saw some ghost ladies down there, but check it out. A year later, the Hellenic Royal Navy went to investigate. I don't know why, but I'm so glad they did. At about 45 meters or 150 feet down, the Navy found an ancient shipwreck and plundered it. They found a treasure trove of bronze and marble statues. How cool is that? Like, if you're a historian like me, or you like archaeology, maybe if you're not too into it, you'd still be like, cool, that's awesome. They found statues from, you know, in an ancient shipwreck at the bottom of the sea. That's awesome. These statues, what were, that's what spooked the sponge diver into thinking ghost mummies were in the ocean floor, which is kind of funny. But a cool discovery. They found treasure. They also found coins, glassware, pottery, jewels, and all sorts of expensive ancient stuff that would end up in a museum. The ship contained a bunch of expensive Greco-Roman art pieces, and with all this super expensive stuff, was a box. Just a mystery box. Something the ship was meant for Julius Caesar himself as a gift from the island of Rhodes, to be like, Julius Caesar, we get that you're a big dude, and, and you, you, you know, beat the crap out of anybody who stands up against you, so here's some gifts. The island of Athens cataloged the artifacts found on the ship, but seem to overlook the box. They're like, okay, look at all these awesome statues. They look so cool, so many treasures, but there's a box, whatever, it's a box, who cares? There were so many eye-catching items. Uh, little did they know, the lump of bronze and wood inside the box would be a lot more famous than any of the other artifacts. In 1902, an archaeologist, Valerios Stace, was walking through the Athens Museum when he noticed what he thought was a gear wheel stuck in a rock. He examined the lump of rock further and thought it had to be an astronomical clock. When he told museum officials, they laughed at him and told him an ancient Greek, the ancient Greeks and Romans didn't have that technology to make a clock. He's crazy. The museum officials explained the gear wheel was a piece of another much more modern ship that had fallen off and glided right into the ancient shipwreck. That was the only explanation they could think of. So nobody thought much of it. For seven or so decades after its discovery, experts either thought this device was either a fake or a fluke because the technology was so advanced beyond what historians thought possible that they came up with that idea. Oh, that gear must have fallen off some modern ship, floated into this shipwreck, and gone right into that box and gone into that rock. That was more believable than thinking the ancient Greeks made a clock. <laughs> the, the device wasn't picked apart or disturbed for all that time, keeping it preserved. The, Anta the Antikythera mechanism, as it come to be known, sat in the Athens Museum in relative obscurity as a mysteriously weird-looking lump as humanity went from the Industrial Revolution to the Computer Revolution. So as our modern understanding of computers and stuff evolved and what we were able to do technologies of looking at archaeological finds evolved this thing wasn't touched it was just like one of the most unremarkable things in the museum that was until in 1951 derek derek j de sola price from yale university decided to look at the device more closely he was a physicist and he liked clocks so he thought he'd check it out sola price would come to be known as the grandfather of information about the mechanism 
he was the first dude to really look at it. One of his first discoveries uh, was were markings denoting the calendar month Libra. So he saw that and was like, oh, I'm on to something big here. Based on that discovery, he started to reconstruct a simulated construction via paper, um, the pieces to make Greco-Roman calendars. So he was able to be like, oh my gosh, so that piece must go here. And he's doing this all on paper. It took Sola Price 20 years to convince the museum officials the device was more than just a lump of rock found in a shipwreck. And in 1971, that's 20 years after, along with the nuclear physicist, <laughs> bear with me here, Charalampos Caracolos, <laughs> Charalampos Caracolos, <laughs> Sola Price and, and Caracolos were able to convince the museum to allow them to examine the actual device, get their hands on, see what they can do. Very gently and carefully, they scanned it with x-rays to avoid damaging the device, and in 1974, they published a 70-page paper, which sounds like a lot, it kind of is, but academic papers can be way longer now. But anyway, 70-page paper showing the 82 fragments of the mechanism. The paper showed just how complicated the device is, not just in its inner workings, but also in its implied understanding of the solar system or the understanding the device's creator had. So if this thing had like so many different components and everything, like, wow, the craftsmanship, but also what they were mapping out in the stars wait a minute we didn't think the ancient greeks or romans knew about this stuff most experts thought it had to be fake there's no way this thing came from ancient rome it's got to be fake what's going on since the since then solar uh, since the solar price paper in 1974 the mechanism has been examined down to the very tiniest of parts after that paper paper people started taking it way more seriously looking into it now the academic community by and large considers it not to be a fake and in fact is from ancient greco-roman times it is mostly made of bronze it has a bunch of intricate gears and locking mechanisms which it uses to complete complex mathematical procedures to rectify the solar solar year it utilizes rod and pin technology which again wasn't thought to be available to the ancient greeks and romans Experts think it had at least 40 gears when it was intact. The device is thought to be able to calculate the exact position and size of a celestial body, such as the moon, at any point during an 18-year period. It could also calculate the position of planets in their then-known orbit. This thing could have allowed Julius Caesar to accurately predict eclipses, full moons, and the speed of the moon across the night sky. And because the device is, is much is in much disrepair after 2,000 years of laying at the bottom of the sea, they think this analog device could have done much more. The Romans did understand astrophysical concepts that were only rediscovered in Europe during the 16th century or later. So it's kind of rewriting history, and that's why people didn't want to believe it for a while. Whenever that kind of archaeological discovery is made, like Gobekli Tepe, uh, when they thought only hunter-gatherers were around, they didn't have the ability to make huge stone structures, well, they can. Stuff like this. Um, academia, academia, they don't want to believe that it's real. Um, so, And I love these kind of topics. Stuff that sort of rewrites history. Amazing. Uh, we humans have been smart for a lot longer than people think. You might be able to guess what happened next. Anthropologists and historians started to go nuts with the implications of this device, um, which is a good thing because, on the other hand, a lot of times academia, they just they still deny it. Even when it's right in front of their face, they deny that it exists. But when you have concrete proof that this thing existed way before it was thought to be able to be exist to exist, this is the better example. Even though it took <laughs> like seven decades to people really take it seriously, I'm glad they did. 
Was there any other ancient tech that we didn't know about? That's what the big question was. What's going on here? The precision needed to create this astronomical math machine was astonishing. The user could turn one gear, and a dozens of other gears would turn to reveal the position of the celestial bodies in our solar system. Now, back then, they weren't aware of all the planets that we're aware of now in our solar system, uh, like Pluto, Neptune. You know, they weren't on there, but. A lot of other ones were. They had Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, Mars. All were on this thing, and the Moon and the Sun. There are even a bunch of these smaller gears that track the Sun and Moon throughout their 19-year cycle, and can tell the wielder of the device where each will be in the sky at any given day. There's a lot of complicated astronomical stuff this device calculates, and some of the most ingenious parts are how it accounts for the tilt of the Earth. That the Earth causes the Moon to appear. To speed up or slow down as it crosses our night sky. That's amazing. I mean, I'm watching videos of people explaining this stuff, and I'm like, I don't even understand this crap. I mean, I wasn't astron astronomy wasn't really um, something I looked into much, I, but I find it interesting. It's just the the technical stuff of it goes right over my head. The Ant Antikythera mechanism uses canted gears to accurately show how the moon moves from our perspective down here on Earth. And you know, we didn't even know they could use like canted gear. Like it's crazy. A major difference, uh, or or a di major difference or tell about the ancient Greco-Roman astronomers is that this device seems to accurately, semi-accurately predict the positions of the planets, sun and moon from the perspective as if the Earth is the center of their solar system instead of the sun. So that does you know they they kept ran. You could tell with the device they kept running into problems. Like wait. If we're the center of the, the solar system, which you know they, to think that this we weren't the center of the solar system, unheard of at the time. Um, so they that didn't even occur to them. But there were certain problems they were running into because oh the math doesn't make sense. So they would come up with more gears or something to account for that. They didn't know why that was the case. So that's crazy. The math went around the problem that the Earth isn't the center of the solar system. It's yeah, engineering is crazy on this. Some historians believe that this device could have inspired Copernicus and Galileo to solve the problem the device was making, be, you know, centered around the fact that Earth isn't the center of the of the universe. They may have known about the device and may have used its flaw to come up with the idea. Hey, well, what would make this little flaw in the device that they had to get around? You know, what would solve that is maybe Earth is not the center of the solar system. Now that's kind of speculative. The Galileo, Copernicus were influenced by this device, but maybe some ancient teachings that that came from the creation of this device did make its way to the days of Copernicus and Galileo. But spec that's speculation. From the shipwrecked and multi-thousand-year remains of the device, experts were able to piece together that it could do all this. But they now think it had more components that didn't survive the time underwater, and therefore probably had more abilities that we're not even aware of now. So they're still studying it. It could probably predict the solar and lunar eclipses and track the time of the Olympic Games. They found inscriptions on the back of the mechanism that suggest it could at one time do all this. There were dials on the front and back of the device that allowed. So,、um, like on the front, it might be the lunar. You could you you.、Um, Turn the dial in the front to say, "Hey, this is the lunar day. What is the what is the solar day going to be like on that same day?" So when you turn one dial, the dial on the other side of the device would be like, "Oh, it's going to be like this. Day is going to last this long. Sun's going to be in this position in the sky." Crazy, and it it would show you the precise lunar day on the 235 month cycle. On the other side, experts think the device was instrumental in planning ahead for things like military campaigns and religious ceremonies. That was one of the biggest things when I first read about this device. 
years ago, I was like, okay, cool. But once you start looking into what all it took to make this thing, it's a lot more astonishing, a lot more um, impressive. But it, when you first say, oh, yeah, the Greeks and the Romans, they knew astronomy. Yeah, I already knew that, you know, even the Mayans. No, this is way more intricate than we thought. Think about it. If you're a general, and it would be helpful to know if your army needs to prepare for a full moon night where the enemy has visibility, or for a new moon night where it's pitch black, your tactics would be very different. And it'd also be helpful to know how many hours of sunlight to prepare for for a military campaign. Maybe it's more beneficial to go in a day that hardly any daylight is out or vice versa. That kind of information is super helpful and not not just like a week from now, years from now. Hey, maybe three years from now we'll do this, but I want to know which day to start it, which day to tell my my um, commanders that we're going to start this campaign. And the same thing applies for ancient Greco-Roman priests trying to schedule, I don't know, like a sacrifice or a feast during a lunar eclipse to make it, I don't know, whatever the religions were, <laughs> but, but something of that nature. And those are just what we could think of now. This thing was probably used by way more... Um, way more people back then think of like crop planting and everything like that this device would come in so much handy you know you plant this plant that's used to it's a lot better to be planted with uh, this much daylight stuff like that so it was very helpful and useful some of the inscriptions suggest the device was used to teach astronomy classes to students i have like a, a screenshot on the blog here I, it's showing <laughs> it's showing ancient roman uh letters that and greek letters that I don't know what they mean, but but apparently they mean, hey, these are for students. So who made this thing? Some speculate, speculate that it was Archimedes himself. Archimedes was a Greek mathematician, physicist, engineer, astronomer, and inventor from the ancient city of Syracuse in Sicily. Although few details of his life are known, he is regarded as one of the leading scientists in classical antiquity. Uh, but there's no proof to show that Archimedes actually made this thing. They just think, well, this guy we do know of is super impressive. There's not much known about his life. Maybe they are connected. It's speculation, but a fun speculation and a, a relatively, you know, good train of thought. Regardless of who made it, though, this machine wasn't a simple tool. It's the product of thousands of hours of research, planning, and engineering. Although no other device has been found, it's very unlikely that only one of these things was, has ever existed. It's too accurate and precise to be the result of a one-time experiment. So what happened uh, to all the other ones? Who knows? Today, the device is still under analysis. Scientists use microfocus, x-rays, CT scans, and computer tomography and polynomial texture mapping to unlock its secrets. Do I know what all those big words mean? No, but they sound cool and they sound legit and they sound very technical. And those are the, you know, modern day ways of analyzing this thing. They are trying to know all the abilities of the machine, even though most of the components eroded, you know, thousands of years ago. They want to know what all it can do and just how it was constructed. Master clockmakers today have studied it and recreated it using the ancient methods thought to be available to the device's original creators. The lack of correction or additional materials to a gear after its first construction suggests that this machine was made perfectly the first time. So this one machine that they found in Antikythera um, was made one time. There's hardly any corrections. There, there's not like mess ups or anything when they made it. So what does that mean? So either the person that made it was an absolute master of his craft, and this is like the one time he ever made it, very unlikely, or the ancient Greeks slash Romans had specialized assembly type uh, processes for the purpose of making these Antikythera mechanisms. 
Both of those possibilities are daunting. That's crazy. Either you had this absolute, like, master of clocks working and all that stuff, or, which I wonder who that guy would have been, or you had an entire system of people, possibly generations, who were trained at making these. So by the time the, the, this one that we found was made, they had already made tons of other ones. One thing must... One thing most agree on is that the maker definitely had done this kind of work before. So what other devices were created with this level of complexity and precision in, in the ancient world? That's the question that I think is the most exciting. We found this one computer. We thought there's no way it's possible that this was made. And then people were thinking, well, it's a fake or maybe it fell off a modern ship. No, they carbon dated it. It's old as hell. And they're thinking now they're looking into it more. They're like, this wasn't a one-time thing. It, yeah, it was probably expensive. They were shipping it off with all these other expensive, you know, statues and stuff. But it was made with such accurate and accuracy and precision that this, there's probably more. More of this same device or more of other devices that we have never found. It was made with bronze and wood. That stuff doesn't last that long. We're just lucky that this thing did because it was in a box of the, in a ship at the bottom of the ocean untouched for thousands of years. But what other devices have we never discovered that the ancients, the ancient civilizations made? That's the cool question. That's what really gets me going. When it was discovered to be a machine, historians thought it had to be the most powerful analog device ever created in its time. But the skill level needed to make it suggest that it was pr the product of years of perhaps generations of skillful clockmakers. These people were accurately mapping the positions and trajectories of Venus and Saturn. Okay, that's crazy. Who knows if there was like an entire academy of people making these things. So if these were made en masse, where are all the other Antikythera mechanisms? Well, they were made of bronze, so time destroyed them, likely. The Antikythera mechanism, when first discovered by a sponge diver at the turn of the 1900s, was thought to be a hunk of junk amidst a treasure trove of beautiful statues and jewels. But over a century since then, it has come to be known as one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of all time, what, literally making books be rewritten as to what humans were capable of. What was once thought to be a worthless hunk of bronze in a box is now regarded as one of the most expensive devices ever created in the ancient world. This thing went from an irrelevant box among treasure to a focal point of historical understanding. This is the ancient computer. This is the Antikythera mechanism. I hope you enjoyed listening, Huda Thunkers. Um, we're still discovering what this thing is capable of today. They're still looking at it. And yeah, a lot of conspiracy. Uh, uh, one thing I barely touched on is there is a lot of conspiracy theorists who are like, the ancients, they definitely knew this. They had cell power technology and, and the pyramids used to shoot up giant laser beams into the sky. I mean, there are conspiracy theories who are like, well, if they can make computers, what else could they make? They must have got this technology from aliens. It definitely was from aliens. So there is some of that that, that swirls around this ancient computer. Um, but what we know for sure and while it is fun to think, wow, what if aliens did come down and give us analog computers 2,000 years ago? Wow, that's cool. We can't prove it. What we can prove is still amazing about this thing. This was made over 2,000 years ago, and it was a computer that could track things like years in advance. It, it, so what we can prove is already really cool to think about. It's, I mean, even though it's fun, 
to think about the aliens and all the crazy conspiracy theories about history, um, that isn't really based in truth. Same idea, like I said, maybe this was created by Archimedes. We don't know. So that's a fun way to think about it, but we don't know. So what's the point? We can't prove it. This thing is awesome. It rewrote history. I love learning about it. Hope you did too. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Um, oh, one last thing. I do want to give a shout out to my buddy, Corey. He's the one I posted in one of our our guys chats and i was like what do i do for this next episode and they're like do the ancient computer so i just googled it looked up into it so yeah thanks for that Corey. until next time huda thunkers catch you later